0: Good morning. Thank you for being here. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Jude, if you would. I've had the privilege of going through the book of Jude the past few weeks. Um, This is the third week we've done this, so we'll have one more week after this. I've really been enjoying it, you know. I've really, through this time, my study, I've really grown to love the book of Jude. I think there's a lot in it, uh, obviously, that I've learned. That I pray that, you know, we've all learned from the book. Because, you know, I don't feel like it's a book of the Bible that's often, you know, taught out of uh, you know, it's just one chapter, it's at the end of the Bible, uh, kind of wedged between, you know, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and uh, Revelation. So, but, but I've enjoyed it, and I'm really excited uh, for what we can learn through the rest of it. So, we're here in Jude. Uh, we finished in verse 11 last week, and today I'm, I'm going to be aiming to get through verses uh, 12 through 16. So, I'm actually, I'm going to start by reading those. Starting in verse 12, the Bible says, These are spots in your feasts of charity speaking of the false teachers when they feast with you feeding themselves without fear clouds they are without water carried about of winds whose trees whose fruit withereth without fruit twice dead plucked up by the roots raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever and enoch also the seventh from adam prophesied of these saying behold the lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their harsh speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Let's open with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, this day, this opportunity we have to gather together as um, fellow believers. Pray, you just help us to um, use this time to hide your word in our hearts, Lord, to learn from it, to apply it to our lives. I pray that you help me to rightly divide it this morning. And in all things, I just pray that I will be done. I pray this all in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. So I want to start by looking at a verse 12. And there's a lot that we read in verse 12. And I think, so, so this is probably thinking just kind of in the overview of the book of Jude. Probably the last time that I'll be speaking specifically about the false teachers that Jude talks about. Because I think we're going to kind of shift gears as we get into the last few verses the, of the book. Um, so I want to really focus on some things we can learn about false teachers uh, in these last few verses um, before we get to verse 17. Uh, but we, I think we get a lot starting in verse 12. Uh, more, more things that the book of Jude refers to false teachers as more characteristics we can learn about them. But the first thing we see here in verse 12 that it says, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feed with you, feeding themselves without fear. So it's speaking of these false teachers again, you know, again, looking at the context what we've already read, you know, like verses 5 through 11. And it calls them spots in your feasts of charity. Go ahead and flip over to 2 Peter chapter 2. I want to look at kind of you know again we've talked about 2 Peter chapter 2 being so similar to the book of Jude, kind of the parallel passage we have to this uh, verse in in the book of Jude cuz it calls these these false teachers as um spots. So I want to look at what 2 Peter chapter 2 says about this, looking specifically at verses 13 through 14. It says, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to write in the day, time, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So it kind of sounds, again, like the very, kind of the exact same thing that we read in the book of Jude. You know, calling, again, speaking of these false teachers, calling them spots, but here in Second Peter chapter 2, we also, it gives them another word. It says, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves in um, their own deceivings. So it says spots and blemishes. So something I was kind of thinking about, you know, thinking of, like, the word spots. Like, you know, if you've ever had, like, a really nice white T-shirt or, like, a white dress shirt even, which would be a lot worse, and you ever, like, you know, eat spaghetti or something or you get some kind of stain on an ink stain and it causes a spot, and it kind of ruins the shirt. You know, it's frustrating, and it and it kind of messes up, you know, the whole shirt. You think of a nice white shirt, and you, you might not be able to wear it anymore because it's, you know, this big spot in the front. So I was thinking of this idea of spots and blemishes, you know, uh, these false teachers, you know, it calls them spots and blemishes. They're they're kind of blemishes in the church. They kind of you know stain, you know, the purity of the church. So that was the kind of the analogy I was thinking of. Um, and uh, you know something else that this kind of reminded me of, and I think I, I want to talk about this a little bit later as well. But like second Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 18. And it says it says, but shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase in more ungodliness and their word will eat at doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth of erred, saying that the resurrection has passed already, and overthrow the faith of some. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's telling him to shun vain and profane and vain babblings. And then he says that you know, those who, do, who, who, who use such things, um, their word will eat as doth a canker, and then he gives two examples, Hymenaeus and Philetus. So when I was thinking kind of like a spot, you know, something that this verse came to mind, you know, thinking of like, you know, a canker, kind of like a cancer, a disease, something that kind of eats away, you know. Uh, and, and then here in 2 Timothy gives two examples of these false teachers, these Hymenaeus and Philetus, who actually, over, it says, overthrew the faith of some. And it kind of, it gives an example of, you know, they, cons- they uh, who concerning the truth of erred, saying the resurrection is passed already. So it kind of tells them what they were teaching, what they were um, teaching um, their doctrine. You know, here in Second Timothy it also says, "For it will increase unto more ungodliness." So you think of like again, kind of the other spots and blemishes. You know, it can kind of you know spread even just a little bit. You think of a little a little bit blemish, a little bit of spot. You know, or here in the example of like a canker, or a cancer, just a little bit. Uh, you know, like a disease, it'll spread. So even just a little bit. And I think you know, looking at a lot of modern churches, I think I've, you can kind of see this in kind of the way some churches have progressed. You know, or maybe some churches start really strong. You know, in our God's word, kind of conservative. But then, you know, just a little bit by a little bit, they kind of step away from God's word. They start teaching more of their own feelings, their own words. They start pleasing men with their mouths. And you kind of see this, you know, little bit by little bit, this canker, it gets into the church. It gets into the, you know, the body of Christ, and then it it eats away, little by little. So we see this kind of idea of spots. Go ahead and turn back to Jude. Because that was the first thing I see in verse 12, but there's a couple other things I want to look at, too. So we read, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Then it says, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. It says these false teachers are clouds without water, carried about of winds. Which, to me, it just kind of sounds like these false teachers are kind of, you know, tossed to and fro. If you think of a cloud, you know, if you, if you ever watch like clouds, especially like the real thin ones on a windy day, they just kind of, you can watch them move real fast even, Um but but clouds they just kind of get tossed to and fro. They don't you know those clouds they don't have any say in where they go. The winds just kind of pushing them. They just kind of go wherever you know they're they're blo- they're blown. Um, and so looking at this verse, it reminded me it reminded me of another passage. Ephesians chapter four verses fourteen through fifteen says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro. And carried about of every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Which is a passage that's very similar, kind of in similar context to what we read about in Jude, kind of talking about false teaching. Um, you know, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Which, by the way, I think a lot of these verses you read in the Bible concerning false teaching, there's a kind of a reoccurring theme. And it's, you know, they're, they're always, you know, men crept in unawares, or by cunning craftiness, or, you know, the slight of men, they lie in wait to deceive. Uh, um, another verse, I can't remember the reference, another verse says they, they you know, come in privately despise our liberty which they have in Christ. It's always kind of in secret, kind of hiding. Um, I think, you know, the first week we looked at Judah, I kind of talked about the Seventh-day Adventist Church and how they kind of are into that kind of craftiness, never really, you know, come out straightforward as to exactly what they are, or what they're going to teach. It's always kind of hidden. I think, kind of talked about that Wednesday night, talking about, you know, um, Kind of subtlety, you know, like uh, Genesis, you know, subtlety, craftiness is always kind of um, related to the devil or to, you know, like Genesis chapter 3 says, but the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So subtlety and craftiness is normally, you know, in the Bible kind of spoken as as, as a bad characteristic, it's kind of not really a very godly thing. But anyway, looking at here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, it says uh, that we henceforth, talking about the, you know, uh, children of God, talking about Christians, Uh, be no more tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So if you kind of think about this idea of being tossed to and fro, you know, carried about of every wind, as Christians, I believe we shouldn't be, uh, you know, carried about of every wind of doctrine. You know, every single time we hear something new, every time we hear something that, you know, maybe sounds good, something that men say, you know, not to be, you know, carried away with that. And I think a big problem with this is why this, you know, happens with false teachers and can even happen in the church and to even, you know, strong believers is, you know, because of their foundation. You think about, if you're not grounded, you think about a boat that's in the ocean, you know, and the waves are going, you know, the waves are raging, this boat, but if if it's not anchored, it's just kind of going to be at the mercy of the sea. It's just kind of go wherever. You know, we have to have an anchor, and I believe that um, our anchor is the Word of God. We need to be founded in God's Word, and the way not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine is to know where our doctrine comes from and where truth comes from, and that is in uh, God's Word. We need to be anchored to God's perfect word. So looking at these false teachers that are just kind of tossed to and fro, um, you know, carried about of winds, uh, just thinking, looking at our own lives to not be that way, to not be, you know, kind of carried away by every wind of doctrine, you know, everything, every new thing we hear, but to be anchored in God's word and to get our doctrine, get our truth solely from uh, the inspired word of God. So again, so back at verse Jude, uh, Jude 12, Looking at the next passage here, because, you know, verse 12 really has a lot in it. Uh, But after it says, carried about of winds, uh, verse 12 says, Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Now, we've looked at a lot of passages in Jude that are unique to the book of Jude itself. We looked at, um, you know, the account of Michael the archangel contending, disputing with uh, Satan over the body of Moses. Uh, We talked about the word contend. In uh, the beginning of Jude is is uh, the word that it's a word that's only used in the book of Jude, but here in verse twelve, uh, talking about fruits, this is not a unique passage to the book of Jude. In fact, we read about this a lot in the New Testament. Jesus spoke about this. In fact, would you go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter seven? So one thing I want to get out of here because it says that these false teachers. They're trees without fruit, they're trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. This terminology is not unique to the book of Jude. and we're going to read this here in uh, Matthew chapter 7. This is actually you know, one of my favorite p- passages in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus speaking here in Matthew 7, and I'm going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. The Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So kind of the same, you know, ideas what we're reading about in Jude. Verse sixteen, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And I think this is something I wanna really look at concerning false teachers, because I think Again, again, talking about false teachers, and they're always—you know—it's always kind of relating them to being subtle and crafty, and kind of coming in unaware, of spying out, you know, privily our liberty, which we have in Christ. So a way I think we can—a uh, way that the Bible I think tells us that we can identify these false teachers is looking here in Matthew seven. It says, "Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them." So we want to kind of look at this. What are the fruits of false teachers? I think we talked about, uh, er, you know last week or, you know, earlier in the book of Jude, kind of talking about the motives behind, you know, these false teachers. You know, talking about that they, you know, ran in the era of uh, Balaam and Cain and Korah and how they're, they're kind of really more interested in serving themselves and they're kind of more driven by their own pride, selfishness, greed, rather than, you know, driven by a desire to serve God. Go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter 5. So looking, you know, at this idea of, you know, identifying the fruits in these false teachers or looking at what are the fruits of false teachers, because I think Jesus here in in Matthew chapter 7 is relating this to people's lives, you know. You know, every good tree bringing forth good fruit, every evil tree bringing forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, An evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Here in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, I want to look at what I think is a good list of some bad fruits, and then obviously, you know, I know if you're familiar with the passage, starting in verse 22, some fruits of the Spirit, but starting in verse 19, it says now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So in verse 22, it does specifically say, but the fruit of the Spirit. So then the list there we know is, is fruits of the Spirit. But I think just looking at the beginning of that verse 22, that but... You know, it goes, but the fruit of the Spirit. I think then looking at what the list we were given in uh, verse 19, you know, consider that, that are referred to as the works of the flesh, I think we could also look at them as, as bad fruit or fruits that, you know, are contrary to the fruits of the Spirit. So I really like this passage because I think it gives us, you know, a nice list for each for fruits that are bad and fruits for, that are good that we can watch for. So, you know, when we're watching for, you know, the fruits of teachers, and I think we should really examine, obviously, all the teaching, all the doctrine that we're being taught and given. And just like the Bereans, the Bible says, we search the scriptures daily whether they, those things were so. Even Paul the Apostle, they didn't just take his word for what the gospel said. They didn't just take his word about what the Bible said. They searched the scriptures themselves. Um, and I think we ought to be doing that as well. But, you know, examining the fruits of, of the teachers that we are learning from, You're looking at these false teachers, are the fruits that they're producing, are they good or bad? And I think something, I think someone in the Bible who really was a great example of displaying good fruit was the Apostle Paul. I think, looking at his life, we've been talking about on Sunday kind of that, you know, Paul talking to Timothy, that Timothy had fully known Paul's manner of life. You know, Paul didn't really live a life in secret, he wasn't, you know, being super subtle, he was very open And uh, he he was very open about his message. His message was, you know, Christ and him crucified. He was preaching the gospel of the whole world. That was his uh, priority, his goal. And I think just reading through the account of Paul, I think Paul was known by his fruits. And you could see, you know, the fruits of the spirits in Paul's life. You know, things like, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. I think these are things you can see in Paul's life. But also, I think, in contrast... I think we can look at the lives of false teachers, of false teaching, and we can see the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You know, we see that word lasciviousness. We talked about that earlier, you know, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And I think really looking at these fruits, I think when you look at false teaching, I think the fruits of false teaching are really just they don't seem to point to false teachers having a heart to serve God. And I think that's that's a main thing, is that it's not like they're just err. I, I don't think when we're reading in the book of Jude, you know, about false teachings, these aren't just Christians who maybe erred in a matter of doctrine. I think these are these are false teachers who are intentionally coming, who are intentionally crept in unawares into the churches, into the body of Christ, to spy out, you know, privily our liberty which you have in Christ, to to bring us back again into bondage of sin. You know, I think these are these are teachers who are, who are preaching false doctrine intentionally. So I think we can see that fruits, and I think their motives again are are based out of selfishness, or based out of their own desires, their own fleshly desires. So then looking back at that verse 12 at, at in Jude, you can go ahead and turn back to Jude. Uh, looking back at uh, Jude verse 12, it says, uh, you know, there are trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. I mean, these are dead trees, you know, completely. You know, something I've heard before, um, this isn't originally with me, mean, this isn't scripture, but it's something I'd heard from, you know, another Pastor was, you know, talking about false teachers. Is that if you see a problem with the fruit, that there's probably something wrong with the root. You know, if you're looking at uh, false teachers and you're seeing problems with their fruits, and it seems to be more of the works of the flesh and out of greed and selfishness, then there's probably something wrong with their motives. Probably something wrong with where they're getting their 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 motives from. Are they grounded? Are they anchored? Are they rooted in the Word of God and in truth? Is that what their desire is to preach the Word of God? Or is their desire selfishness or pride or greed? So I think this is a great way that we can, you know, not, you know, that we we, we can look at false teachers and not be deceived by them, you know, creeping in unawares. Okay, so moving on. So so we talked about now these fruits, talking about the fruits of the Spirit and kind of the fruits of false teaching. This isn't a passage. This isn't something unique to the book of Jude. But now we're going to look at verses 14 through 15, which is another account that is unique to the book of Jude. Starting in verse 14, it says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So we don't read of this account anywhere else in the Bible. It's only in the Book of Jude. But I don't believe this is something that we have to stumble at because we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable. We know the Word of God is inerrant. So if it's in the Bible, if it's in this Book of Jude, then it must be true. So I don't think this is something we have to worry about. You know, you know, looking at a lot of outside teaching because I don't think the the primary goal of of Jude in writing in putting this verse in in this book was to uh make a point you know about uh th- this specific account I think he was relating this account as to what he was talking about concerning false teachers so I don't believe that this is you know a real account this is something that really did happen because it's in the Bible and I believe it was talking about it uh literally but looking at vi- verse fifteen is there I don't know a word that maybe seems to stand out in verse 15 that's mentioned several times over. You see, you look at that word ungodly four times in verse 15 alone. It uses that word ungodly. I you know, I some I have a hard time reading it sometimes, you know. It says to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly, among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So I think. Some I want to look at, looking at this verse fifteen, and then we'll go, we'll go back to this a little bit later as we close too. But just looking at verse fifteen is the ungodliness of false teachers, because again I think the book of Jude and the same thing with 2 Peter chapter two. It doesn't really hold back as to what uh, these uh, as to what they call these false teachers. You know, here here it's calling them ungodly. Four times in verse fifteen alone. So you know you know again I believe that. When we're talking about these false teachers, these aren't Christians who maybe just straight away or in error, you know, need correction as far as their doctrine is concerned. I believe this is intentional perversion of the Word of God, trying, you know, to intentionally, uh, you know, preach false doctrine or to creep in to bring a canker into the church intentionally into the body of Christ. It calls the, it calls these false teachers ungodly. But just looking at verses 14 through 15 as a whole, it says, Enoch, also the seventh from man, prophesied of these, saying, The Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. And then starting in verse 15, to execute judgment upon all. And this is something we looked at last week, is that, you know, and I think looking at the book of Jude as a whole, I think really the main theme of the book of Jude, you know, we talk about it, it speaks concerning false teachers, you know, and false prophets, but I think really the book of Jude as a whole is an exhortation to us, you know, he says that I exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. So I think really what Jude was his intention here was, was to exhort us to contend for the faith in response to this false teaching and, and, and in response to false doctrine. But God, God is a just God and He will judge the wicked. We looked at this verse before, uh, but 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. You know, these looking actually just a verse above or looking back at verse 13 at the end there, it says, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So there is judgment for these false teachers, for, for uh, who the Bible calls ungodly. And, you know, we talk about the day of judgment. We've gone over, the, over this before. But just, you know, for a recap, that there, there will be a day of judgment. All will stand before God to be judged according to their works. And those who are trusting in their works their works will not stand before a holy God. But those, the Christians, those who are in the body of Christ, those trusting in Christ's righteousness will be pardoned. You know, that is our hope. That is our, our faith, that we are saved by grace, not by works. That, that when we stand before God, we won't have to answer for our own works because our works will be as filthy rags. They won't mean anything. They won't stand before a just and holy God. So just looking at the judgment of God, that God is a just God. Moving on to verse 16, and you know, the, the last verse we're going to be looking at today. Um, verse 16, I think we read again, just that I think Jude really does a good job of giving us a lot of characteristics, a lot of things that we can look for in false teachers, and I think we're given more characteristics of false teachers here in verse 16. It says, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So a few things we can look at here. These false teachers, they're murmurers and complainers. What does the Bible say about murmuring and complaining? The Bible says do all things without murmuring and complaining. But these false teachers, they're murmurers, they're complainers. It says walking after their own lusts. We've kind of already looked at this behind the motives of false teachers, that they're really in it to fulfill their own lusts, their own selfish desires, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. We talked about that, you know, turning God's grace into a license for sin, into a license for their own lust. These false teachers, are murmurers, complainers. They walk after their own lusts. And then it says, and speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. When we look at this phrase, great swelling words, you know, like that word swelling, something I kind of thought about. is was something that, like, swells. I thought of, like, a balloon. Or something, you know, like, you know, at the end of this last basketball season, I twisted my ankle and it got pretty swollen, you know, it kind of swells. But you think of like a balloon or or like, you know, something that swells, it doesn't really add, you know, much substance to that thing. Like you blow into a balloon, you're just kind of blowing air and it's just, you know, expanding its swelling. So, you know, we talk about great swelling words. I believe these are things that are very heavy with sound doctrine. But I believe specifically looking at then the next part of the verse where it says having man's persons in admiration because of advantage. I think these great swelling words also kind of have to do with, you know, with flattery speech and kind of flattery teaching. When we, t- we talk about false teachers having men's persons in admiration, we've, you know, we kind of heard before maybe in the Bible but talking about respecting persons, you know, kind of having a higher regard for somebody because of their status of life, whether it's their job, their career, their wealth. But here, we kind of the same kind of terminology here when it says having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But I think here it's more kind of talking about flattering people and really specifically for their own gain. So I think when it's talking about these great swelling words, And I think that, again, this is something we really, I think, more and more, especially in the Church of America, which if you think about a nation that is as wealthy, as well-off as we are, that has as much access to the Bible, to the Word of God, uh, as much access to to material to learn and to grow, you ought to think we should be the strongest church in the history of the world. You know, we have all this, We have you know, you think of social media, not social media, like the Internet, that at the, you know, touch of a button, you can get all this information. We have a lot of great material where we could learn you know, used for the good of the church, for the good of God's kingdom, you ought to think that we would be a very strong church. But, you know, unfortunately, I think we see specifically the Church of America as a whole kind of drifting further and further away from the truth. But I think this is something we really see a lot in our modern churches is these great swelling words, these words of flattery, these kind of softer, not heavy with doctrine, not very convicting kind of messages, these words that they preach in front of, you know, congregations of thousands, of tens of thousands, hundreds of people. They're, they're, you know, speaking these great swelling words. They're flattering people for their own gain. Proverbs ten nineteen says, "He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets; therefore, meddleth not with him that flattereth his lips." Here it says, "Meddle not with him that flattereth his lips." We're not to meddle with these people. And I think go and turn over to 2 Timothy. This is something I want to look at because I think that there there is a obvious. I think, obvious motive behind why these false teachers, you know, speak great swelling words, having man's pers- person's admiration, is why they flatter people for their own gain. And I think it's because there's, there's coming a day, and I think we're, we're already kind of seeing it maybe, where people will no longer, uh, maybe even the church, will no longer endure sound doctrine. They're not going to want to hear things that convict them. Looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, just looking at verses 2 through 4, the Bible says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebu- rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. We talked about doctrine, the importance of doctrine. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned into fables. So I think the reason that, or I think a good motive for these false teachers to speak these flattering words, these great swelling words, for their own gain is because it's, it's going to result in their own gain. You know, we talked about their motives that, you know, it's out of pride, selfishness, greed. That's why these false teachers are in it. They're not in it for God's glory. And the best way, you know, to attract attention to get, you know, if you think about just greed specifically to attract attention and to get more popularity or, or, or to please more people is to tell them things that they want to hear. You know, people don't want to be convicted. Feeling bad about yourself isn't a fun thing to do. It's not fun to feel bad about yourself, to be convicted of sin. And I think we already see this, you know, in the world today. And I think as the world, you know, and even maybe as a church shifts more and more towards self-teaching, you know, with less sound doctrine, I think so will these false teachers. I think they'll follow along. They live and they teach not to serve God, but to serve themselves. Here, in Second uh, Timothy verse four it says that there will come a time where they will no longer endure sound doctrine. We talked about a couple weeks ago the importance of sound doctrine, that there is sound doctrine, that there is false doctrine, and obviously these false teachers aren't in it to preach, you know, sound doctrine to uh, to, to con- convict, but also to exhort the church. But they're rather, they're in it for their own gain. So I think when I, you know, kind of closing this up, looking at verse sixteen when it talks about. Um, these teachers flattering for their own gain. I think this is something that is prevalent. I think it will continue to be prevalent, but I think the reason that they do it, I think, is resulting from people not enduring sound doctrine, not enduring hard teaching. You know, people like soft messages, messages that they like to hear things about. You know, God is love. God is this. God is that. God couldn't possibly reject you. God is okay with what your sin and anything in your life, you know. Come as you are. You know, they don't talk, you know, these false teachers, they won't talk about repentance, they won't talk about hard things. And they do it, I believe, because people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but also because of their own advantage, because of their own gain. So go ahead and turn back to the book of Jude too, and we're going to look at the conclusion here at verses 12 through 16. So some things I want to look at after today... Um, One is, you know, that we we can be wary of false teaching and I think especially in this day and age where it's so easy, you know, you know, especially looking at false teaching creeping in, it's so easy to get a lot of access to a lot of different, you know, voices, a lot of different, you know, opinions, ideas, a lot of different, you know, people just through television and the internet, you know, I can like, you know, in four clicks on my phone pull up a YouTube video of someone preaching halfway across the world. I mean, it's really easy to get information, to get a lot of information in this day and age. So I think even more so, we need to be wary of false teaching creeping in. And, you know, we talk about false teachers living, you know, to please their flesh, not to please God, not to honor God. But I think also for ourselves, look at our own lives, examine ourselves, whether what, you know, the way we're living, what we're doing is to please God or is it to please our own flesh? Another thing I want to look at, you know, talking about these false teachers, as we just talked about, you know, uh, speaking flattering words to please men. You know, I believe as Christians we shouldn't soften the word of God, shouldn't soften the gospel to please men. You know, we shouldn't change what the word of God says just because we think it's too mean or we don't think it's nice enough. We should preach the word of God, we should teach the gospel as it is, and I believe that's the way we should witness to people. The way the gospel message is, not the way that we feel like it should be. And then I think really most importantly through this book of Jude, and I'm going to talk about this a lot, is to remember that you know we can, we and should earnestly contend for the faith, even in the face of this false teaching. I think this is something that will only increase, you know, as, as we're in the latter days, as we, you know, come as as we approach the more and more near into the coming of Christ. I think this is something that will continue to increase. So I think that we can, and I think we should, earnestly contend for the faith, even in the face of this false teaching. We read in you know, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that God is able to deliver the righteous out of temptation, and the wicked will receive their due to punishment, and will specifically, you know, and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. You know, we, God is able to deliver righteous out of temptation. So even if persecution does come for preaching the word as it is, even if it does come for preaching the gospel, God is able to deliver us us from temptation. And then finally, you know, I pray that we all have, but just looking at um, the idea of putting your hope in Christ for judgment day, because there is a coming judgment. You know, these false teachers, uh, you know, there is a place reserved for them. You know, looking at the end of verse 13, um, to whom is reserved the blackness, the darkness forever. There is a coming judgment day, and there is a place reserved for the unjust. There is a place reserved for the righteous. And if you don't have Christ as your salvation, because all have fallen short and, you know, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there is none righteous. So if you're trusting in your own works and your own righteousness, you're going to come short on judgment day. And your condemnation will be the same as these, you know, false teachers. You know, looking at verses, you know, early in like verses 5 will be the same as, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, whether they're they're suffering the uh, vengeance of eternal fire. But if you put your hope in Christ, if you trust in his righteousness... The Bible says, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Putting your faith in Christ, you know, uh, he, he is able, he is willing to forgive us of our sins. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Our works will not stand before a holy God when judgment comes. And so if we don't have Christ's righteousness, we don't have Christ's works in place of that, we will be condemned to eternal fire. So I pray that we have, you know, just looking, putting our hope in Christ because it is glorious hope, it is a great hope, and it is, you know, a great joy, I think, just in my own life, looking towards, you know, the eternity that I will get to spend, you know, with God and just that hope we have in Christ, so looking at that today. So excited to finish up the book of June next week. Um, A lot that we've learned, I pray that we have learned, and uh, looking forward to the rest of it. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, and I just, again, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. Pray that um, we would have learned from your word this morning that uh, we would just hide it in our hearts, Lord. Um, that we would just take uh, take heed to it, Lord, and that we would uh, honor you through the rest of this morning. Pray that that will be done. I thank you for all that you do for us. I pray you all in Jesus' name. Amen.